Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Dada, with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are less than two weeks out from wwe clash at the castle as wwe returns to the united kingdom for a pay-per-view or premium live event for the first time in three decades the silver king is here vintage chris vanini will be joining momentarily and we are going to break down everything that happened this week in the world of wwe on SmackDown, Raw, and outside the ring as we move forward towards this huge event for the company and what continues to be a tremendous run of television programming since the creative regime change. But before we get to that, and we will get to that momentarily, the Silver King would be remiss if I began the show without reminding you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage and for getting over. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, and tell them why they should subscribe. These five-star ratings and reviews are super important. We read them all on the show No new ones this week, but you guys have been fantastic, leaving a bunch of new reviews this month. We greatly appreciate that. We also appreciate everyone, as I mentioned last week, who made financial contributions to the show as we look for new technologies, ways to improve our production for you. I did want to send a shout out to two more people who kind of snuck in with last minute uh, contributions. Jason J, Mary G, thank both of you. Thanks to both of you uh, for contributing even after the bell a little bit, but nevertheless, Very much appreciated. Now it is time to bring in vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, uh, WWE spent this week in the Great White North, Canada. I believe you have some family up there, you said, or something like that. Uh, After what we saw Friday night on SmackDown with that absolutely insane Montreal crowd, I thought Raw on Monday was going to be unreal in Toronto. It was legitimately sold out. Trish Stratus and Edge were announced for the show. And this sold out Toronto crowd, at least for the first hour on Monday night, it might as well have been 3,500 people in Lafayette, Louisiana. Like you could hear a pin drop. It sounded ice cold. It was stunning. And on top of that, WWE's audio was off in such a major way that it made the crowd seem even quieter. On top of that, the pacing of Raw Monday night was totally odd. And and folks, I'm not trying to be negative. I'll get to the positive in a moment. But USA Network on Monday was supposedly doing like limited commercials in hour three. This was leaked online, but it was never really announced during the broadcast, at least not that I heard. But during hour three of Raw, I would not say the commercials were limited. I mean, we had two in the first 11 minutes of the main event match between Edge and Damian Priest. And because they quote unquote limited commercials in hour three, They shoved so many commercials in the first hour of Raw on Monday night, it made for a horrible viewing experience. It was like six minutes of action, commercial, six minutes of action, commercial. So the pacing of the show really turned me off. Now, all of that said, I thought hours two and three of Raw were 
exceptionally entertaining with the booking and the creative far overcoming the pacing and production issues. There were clear changes, including fewer camera cuts on the show, more time spent on the hard cam. I appreciated that. And I thought the show was just so freaking good that, as I said, it overcame that first hour, which put such a bad taste in my mouth. That was not the case for SmackDown, where it was two hours of really tight, fun, entertaining wrestling, really from start to finish. But all in all, my takeaway from this past week in WWE, this was another rocking week of creative, made even more notable because of how strong the product is right now, despite so many major names being out of action. Big E, Randy Orton, Cody Rhodes, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, possibly Sasha Banks and Naomi, other people who are just major crowd favorites, Rick Boogs, and I could keep going. I'm not going to name every single person who's not wrestling right now. But these are some really big stars in the company, not to mention Brock Lesnar and John Cena, these part-timers not being around. And it is still the best WWE creative product that we have gotten in years. Well, there's a lot to respond to there. Um, first off, shout out to Canada. Great country, great flag. Uh, good I, country, good flag. I, I don't, I don't know if I, I have distant family still there, but but um, grew up going there all the time. Love oh, Canada. I thought, you had, I, love, I thought you had family there. I misunderstood. Old, distant relatives. Gotcha. I, I love when WWE does the Canada shows because. Crowds are typically always great, like we got on SmackDown there. Like, it really is like a European crowd. You just don't have to cross the Atlantic to do it. I think they typically go to Canada in August most, mm-hmm. most years. Um, I would love for them to just do it more often. You know, like, yeah. it, 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 there's always good crowd. They used to go to Toronto periodically for pay-per-views once in a while. Um, I think that's something they should look into. Obviously, Canada's got tighter COVID restrictions. We're still coming out of the pandemic and all that stuff. So there's a lot to deal with. But I, I, I love also seeing a lot of the house show clips uh, over the weekend from the various shows in Canada. Just a place that hasn't had live WWE for a number of years. And they were really into it. Raw was kind of weird. But absolutely love the crowd. Love them being in Canada. Um, SmackDown was great, like I said. It just I think we're seeing as well, like that two-hour window really is great. And I, I'm enjoying the absolutely not true online conspiracy that uh, Triple H is trying to fuck with the third hour. So USA will take it back and draw a two hour show. <laughs> definitely not happening. Um, yeah. they want definitely they not happening. WWE is USA Network's number one property. They don't yes. do original programming anymore. Remember like, we're not getting it. We're not remember, getting Chris, Chris, remember, I don't know if you watch these shows because the things you watch are weird, but remember like suits and Mr. Robot and like all these great shows that USA Network used to produce. They don't yeah. do that anymore. All right. they have is WWE and reality TV. That's it. Correct. So they're not cutting back an hour of Raw. It's just not going to happen. Correct. Correct. So yeah, it's not happening. But I just wanted to say, in relates to the limited commercials of the third hour, uh, I saw some people pointing that out. But yeah, Raw, look, the creative's great. Like, it, it's, I thought Raw was okay. It did get better as it went on. Mm-hmm. We are kind of now settling into, hey, it's been three or four weeks. We've got the same people in the same feuds with each other. Uh, but there's it's still a bit more freshness. There obviously is a lot more wrestling on the show. I saw some someone posted some numbers that wrestling is definitely up. Honestly, it, it almost might be a little bit too much wrestling for me, but I think every <laughs> I well, but but 
I say that because I think every single promo segment, backstage segment, mic segment is really, really good. Like I am completely enthralled in every time somebody has a mic. It no longer feels like, well, I'm, on Saturday at the pay-per-view on the WWE Network, I'm going to beat blah, blah, blah. Like it, it, it feels fresh. It feels real. I'm really, really enjoying the creative direction of what they're doing off screen or out of the ring, essentially. And I'm just adjusting to more uh, in the ring wrestling as it comes to as it relates to WWE, similar to the way AEW does it. We did kind of combine two topics into one here, which is my fault. I should have talked about Canada first and production and then gone into the other stuff. But to your point about Canada, I I don't think that if WWE went twice a year, so once in the summer and then six months removed. So I'm trying to think what that would be like February, you know, on on the road to WrestleMania, basically. Um, I, I don't know that that would be too much. I don't understand why they can't go to Toronto and Montreal twice a year with a week of house shows in between. And I don't necessarily think that suddenly the buildings wouldn't be sold out. Like how many times do they go to Chicago? In a they, given year, it has to be like yeah. four times, right? There like, were four. There were more than fourteen thousand fans at that raw yesterday. Right. So even if you get twelve thousand, like if you get twelve thousand twice instead of fourteen thousand once, that's still a big win. So if I'm WWE, I am absolutely going back twice a year to those venues, at least until it proves that it's not cost effective or, or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely giving Montreal a pay per view, like. Yeah. That crowd, you that is the exact crowd that you give a major show to. It yeah. that is the reaction you want. It's the enthusiasm and the energy. And man, just I know that like there was a lot of focus on Sami Zayn, rightly so, on SmackDown Friday, and we're gonna talk about him a lot, but it was not limited limited to him. They popped for everybody. They just really wanted Sami Zayn more, yeah. more than anything else. But the, you have to give deserving crowds good shows. Like you have to reward your, especially major cities. There are, these are major cities in Canada. And if WWE is on this upswing right now in popularity, which it does seem to be, then you have to extend north of the border. You, you need to give them the opportunity to start buying into your product again, because ratings in Canada aren't that great, but there's all that means is that there's potential growth. So I would absolutely push further into Canada and you know, the United Kingdom, we're going to see what they're about to do, obviously going over there for Clash at the Castle. But this is a very kind of exciting time right now. You would think, by the way, that maybe WWE would do some of this stuff during football season as opposed to before football season, right? Like they should be trying to capture the American audience right now. And then when football season starts, hey, let's go to Canada, let's go to the United Kingdom and get really crazy crowds. Apparently that's not how they look at yeah, it. I'm not, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure because they typically do the European tour around after WrestleMania is I think it's just kind of how it's always been. So I, I'm, I'm just not, saying, like, I'm, wouldn't you think yeah. that you would do it I'm the curious. other way? No, yeah. I agree. I'm just I'm curious. Yeah. I don't know the answer. I'm curious as to why they've kind of always had the schedule the way they have. And if under new leadership that they potentially change it, you know, we'll Absolutely. have to see moving forward. For sure. For sure. So, um, look, we do need to get to the main event, the good, the bad and the ugly. Both those things are coming up. But there have been some questions. And Chris and I have also discussed, hey, what is your schedule going to look like next week uh, in terms of previewing Clash at the Castle? Uh, NXT Worlds Collide is going to be Sunday immediately, immediately following Clash at the Castle. We don't know. (laughs) That's the truth. Uh, We don't have the answers right now, hopefully on next week's show. So one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel. We will have our WWE Clash at the Castle Ultimate Preview. And during that episode, the goal right now is for Chris and I 
to hammer out a schedule and figure out when the instant analysis episodes are going to come, if we're going to do a go-home show, because things could definitely transpire on that final SmackDown leading into Clash at the Castle. Are we going to do a live pre-show ahead of Clash at the Castle? I would guess for both of us, that's looking doubtful, just given our schedules. It is week one of the college football season. Both of us are heavily involved in that sport. It is yes. our primary form of employment. Um, so our, our entire form of employment. I, really. I will be in Atlanta for uh, yeah. Georgia, uh, Georgia, uh, Oregon. So I probably during a game when we normally do that live show. So I'm exactly. probably not going to happen for me. So, right. So all these things are up in the air right now. But let's look one way or another. We will have full coverage of WWE Clash at the Castle, NXT Worlds Collide. You do not need to worry about that. I also have four, actually five, interview requests in with WWE right now. Uh, one of them is a huge request. Don't know that it's going to come through, but it involves the man who we've been speaking uh, most frequently about on this show over the last few weeks. But in addition to that person, there's a number of talent requests in. So there's a chance we have a couple interviews next week. Point is, we should have a really nice week of shows set up for Clash at the Castle leading into it. We just don't exactly know what the schedule is going to look like. But next week, same bat time, same bat channel on this Tuesday WWE show. We will have the Clash of the Castle Ultimate Preview, and we will have all of those answers for you. One more thing before we get into the main event. I forgot to mention that in addition to giving us those five-star ratings and reviews on Apple and Spotify, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We tweet live during all the major shows. If you guys want to send in DM slides and tweets for us to read on the air. That is exactly where you do it. Actually, not a lot this week. Um, in fact, very few, so so few that we don't have any in the show, which is not normally the case. I think you all know we've been including your thoughts and questions more frequently. So please do not forget to DM us, to tweet us your thoughts, uh, your feelings, your questions on WWE, AEW, NXT, and we will try to get them into the show. But the other reason to subscribe uh, or follow us, I should say, on Twitter at Getting Overcast is that way. You know, every single time a new episode drops and you can vote in pre and post show polls, which is obviously going to be important with both Clash of the Castle and Worlds Collide coming up next week. OK, folks. and and also you uh, confirmed slash broke some news in, yes. in wrestling over the last couple of days. So there's a that that that's where you'll, you'll hear the news first as well. Absolutely. Look, I, I it is not my profession to be a wrestling newsbreaker. Right. But at the same time, through interviewing numerous people and making connections over um, really a couple decades covering wrestling in different forms. I have made some. And as of late, I've been very lucky in the ability to confirm um, news that's been broken by PW Insider, uh, Sean Ross Sapp of Fightful, people like that. So yes, uh, if you follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, I try to be a little bit of a news source as well. Best that we actually can be. So please follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That is it for the intro of today's show. We have two huge segments still to come. Let's not waste any more time. Let's slide into the main event. And yes, folks, we have a double main event for the first time in a while. The first part, of course, covering Roman Reigns and Drew McIntyre as they build to their main event match at Clash of the Castle. And the second part of the main event, the return, the re-signing, the debut of Johnny Gargano on Monday Night Raw. We are going to start, of course, with Roman Reigns, who pulled up in an SUV just as a police car with Ronda Rousey in it, drove out of the parking lot Friday night on SmackDown. The crowd, the Montreal crowd, popped huge just seeing him on their screen. They went wild. 
Later backstage, Sami Zayn went to the locker room and was surprised to learn that Reigns wanted to see him and let him inside. Reigns was really pleasant when he was there. Zayn rambled about Jey Uso giving him shit despite his sacrifice eating the Claymore last week. Sammy called Jay ungrateful, but realized like he probably shouldn't say that to the tribal chief. To his delight, though, Reigns actually agreed with him, saying Jay doesn't appreciate shit. Then Reigns walked away. I don't even know why he walked away to get a drink or something. His phone rang and it was Jay on the phone. Reigns told Sammy to answer it. And Jay screamed, saying they were stopped at the border. On a side note here, (laughs) they probably weren't allowed past the border because Jimmy recently had another DUI, as we mentioned. and. That is a something that prevents people from going, even visiting uh, from the United States into Canada, particularly for work. So and, it was, and, and, and by the way, he uh, got one of those DUIs in Detroit, which is a border town and may have been the way they went to Canada. Ah, I'm not sure. Interesting. So, yeah, they legit or Jimmy, at least legitimately wasn't allowed in. And this is how they explained it. I thought it was very interesting that they half acknowledged it, at least. That was pretty cool. Anyway. So Zane said he'd be there for Reigns, whatever he needs. Roman asked if Sammy had any plans for the show. He said, hey, I'm in the Intercontinental title number one contendership match. Reigns got excited for him, saying that title would look great as part of the bloodline. Then Sammy got excited that Reigns was excited. Before Zane could leave to prepare for the match, Reigns asked him for the favor that you knew was coming. He said, hey, are you, do you still have a relationship with Kevin Owens? Zane said they've been close forever, but they're not tight right now. And Roman told Sammy, He doesn't owe anybody anything ever and told him to pass along that message to KO. Chris, this segment was incredible. Mm -hmm. That's the best word to describe it. It was funny. It was compelling. It was surprising. It completely fit with Sammy's long-term storyline. The more recent edition of Owens kind of on the outside of the title picture. It fit with Reigns' gaslighting. All those tendencies that he's shown over the last two years, his selfish nature of being the tribal chief, you knew there was something he wanted the entire time, that he was not suddenly seeing Sami Zayn out of the goodness of his heart. And yet, even as they built up to that, the entire thing was more and more entertaining as it transpired. This was straight out of the Attitude Era in terms of cohesiveness in storytelling, entertainment value. This was a Triple H Hallmark type of segment. I am the f-ing game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. There's really a case to be made that Sammy and the Bloodline right now is the best or at least the most fun storyline in all of wrestling. This was without a doubt the single best backstage segment of the year on any brand, WWE, AEW. Perfect, no notes. It's the best compliment I can give. I'm starting off with, I think I've said this before, but the number one thing I have enjoyed the most about the Triple H era is the return of the cars pulling up to the building at the beginning of the show. Like, it just sets the tone, it makes the person feel like a big deal, and it gives you the pop, it gives you the mystery of, oh, who's in the car? And then they pop out and it gives you a reaction. It's just a natural storytelling device that I just couldn't understand why they had moved away from. And you saw it here. Oh, we got a car. Who is it? Oh, man, is Roman Reigns. He's here in Montreal. I'm excited. Huge pop. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Roman, Sammy, you laid out the whole thing there. It was incredible. I I don't think the whole thing is on the YouTube channel. They've got a three-minute bit up there. Um, you got to see but the whole it thing. Is, you have to see it, the it, If you can find the whole thing, find the whole thing. Yeah. It is the second most viewed YouTube video from SmackDown. 
uh, from the show. It just, it didn't feel, another thing, like, it didn't feel scripted. It, it was real. Like they, it felt like a real yeah, interaction. it felt real. Yes. It felt like they could, like, it felt like, obviously, they had the points they had to get, the direction they had to go, but it felt like they were kind of playing off of each other. And, like, Roman's facial expressions reacting to things Sammy is saying. Like, when Roman is thinking about what Sammy says and then goes, you're right. That was amazing. Like, yeah, like this was Jay just, is Jay really is an asshole. Listen to you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like it was, this is just, it's so compelling. This is the kind of stuff that during the pandemic, really, we got from Roman Reigns backstage and it was really interesting character development. And this is the kind of thing you miss when you don't have him on the show every week. It's just like, he's become a very, very good, just character actor, so to speak. And just, this was great. Also, one other thing. Uh, Sammy yesterday, I think it was yesterday, tweeted a happy birthday to Jimmy, just to Jimmy. Yeah. Because it was their birthday and they're yeah. twins. About an hour later, he followed up and said, oh, yeah, happy birthday to J2. So like another little nice little thing on that. This was spectacular. I also did get a um, a note from Chad Placinka at I Don't Exaggerate, who DM'd us. He said, shout out to the camera work on the Roman Sammy interview from SD Smackdown. Roman looked enormous on the couch compared to Sammy, more diminutive. So that's true. Roman was closer mm-hmm. to the camera and therefore, from perspective reasons, looked bigger and more dominant in the moment while Sammy was kind of the smaller guy trying to win his praise. So, yes, everything about it just hit it, every every single thing they did in this backstage segment made it a plus. If, if I graded them, this was a five star backstage segment. Yep. That's the best. Absolutely. Way. Uh, so there was also a produced promo with Scarlett and Karrion Cross, who asked why being called the chosen one cut Drew McIntyre so deep. He said there's no denying he, McIntyre, and Reigns are chosen. Cross and McIntyre failed as champion, but Reigns is the one who elevated the title and product. Cross then screamed that McIntyre was indeed the chosen one, but WWE chose wrong. Very well said. Very well produced as well. For those wondering, Cross and Scarlett, they were not in SmackDown. And while it's not officially the reason, no one said anything, they're unvaccinated and anti-vax and Canada requires, I believe, a 14-day waiting period crossing the border. If you're unvaccinated, maybe seven days for Johnson & Johnson. Uh, But regardless, I kind of assumed that they would get vaccinated when they were were rehired because it seemed like when WWE did that run of releases, they basically released everyone who was unvaccinated or refused to be because it was an issue with traveling and, and getting people sick and all that. But apparently some of the people that they have brought back, that is no longer a concern. Could certainly create issues in the future. But as far as this, it was really solid. I think we're now three for three in terms of cross segments hitting since his return. And that's really all you can ask for. First off, get vaccinated, folks. It's it's good to do. Uh, Second, uh, yeah, this was, I, I enjoyed this. The only thing that bothered me was the weird dash of color that they put in, or light that they put in the video. It was like all black and white, but then there's like this weird bit of color moving around at times. That was just, it was very distracting. I would have kept the whole thing in black and white as they've been doing with all their other things. And just kind of that same tone. To I liked what he said and everything. And he acknowledged what Drew McIntyre said on, on a Raw. So it was like, it was a good follow-up to Drew McIntyre responding to him. So that was great. I just thought the, the dash of color was just distracting. Sure. And lastly, but there's a lot that still that happened here. Uh, Smackdown closed with the Reigns-McIntyre face-to-face, as was promised and promoted all week. 
When Drew grabbed his leather jacket in the locker room, he saw one of Cross's hourglasses halfway depleted with the sand halfway through it. That pissed him off. Commentary made a point to acknowledge that Paul Heyman is absent for the second straight week. Speaking of, the crowd popped huge for Reigns with really loud chants. Reigns said he may not be there every week, but anyone besides him saying they are the face of the company or that they carry WWE on their back is lying. Reigns got crazy passionate after that while basically fluffing himself up and saying McIntyre is beneath him. So obviously Drew came out. He was wearing, Chris, normal clothes, mm-hmm. not his ring gear. He said Reigns isn't representing the titles the way they deserve to be represented, and he doesn't deserve to be champion. McIntyre pointed out how Heyman and the Usos have done Reigns' dirty work. And while no one may be able to beat the bloodline as a whole, Reigns himself is just a man. Since they were alone, Drew felt like fighting, and Roman went after him. McIntyre set up for the Claymore, but Zayn popped in out of nowhere and took the Claymore for Reigns. Reigns then hit a Superman punch. McIntyre countered a spear with a Claymore, and the babyface stood tall at the end. So the one negative here, even though this obviously sounds like it was great, and it was great, the cameras completely missed both of the final shots. The mm-hmm. Sammy taking the Claymore and then the final um, Claymore, I think, on Roman Reigns it was. Now, credit to production because they immediately came back with replays. So that way we saw both of them happening. That was at least acceptable. Other than that, this was a stellar promo segment. Reigns was more passionate on this promo than he's been for any promo in 2022, at least. McIntyre doubled down on everything he said from Raw last week. I did see criticism for Drew saying Roman didn't deserve the title. Well, in general, of course he deserves it, but McIntyre was explaining why. Reigns hasn't retained the title time and time again on his own, so in Drew's mind, he doesn't deserve to be champion. This allowed the build, in my opinion, for Clash of the Castle to remain hot. It continued establishing Sami Zayn's role in the bloodline and in this storyline, at least for now. I just thought it was a great main event storyline this week. I am all in on Roman versus Drew. This is why I wanted this to be the WrestleMania main event. Right. Like this year, these two guys, like this is freaking it, man. I was absolutely fired up from that segment. Drew is taller than Roman and Roman is looking up at Drew giving this promo. And the, you talked earlier about the camera with him and Sammy and Roman looking bigger. Roman looks smaller here. And that was just a really interesting contrast of Roman having to look up Roman being a little bit uncertain. Mm-hmm. You know, the only person we've really seen him a bit scared of was Brock. But even but at, by the end of that, we kind of were, were sick of it. This is a completely new dynamic for Roman and his character is expressing that. And he's having to talk himself up and he's having to give himself the confidence because he doesn't have Paul Heyman there because he doesn't have the Usos there with him. Just Roman on his own. We haven't gotten that in perhaps this entire tribal chief reign Mm -hmm. where it was just him coming out doing the entrance and all that stuff. It was a completely new dynamic for this Roman character. Drew was awesome. Fired up. Love Sammy going in there, taking the claymore. But yes, the camera work was a problem for that. But this absolutely fired me up. I am all in on this feud, this match. I'm almost sad. We only have two more weeks left. I want these guys going face to face for several weeks. Like that. This is, it, it furthers my belief that Drew needs to win the title. Here at Clash at the Castle, which I've said a million times, but I just I saw that and I was just like, man, imagine if this had been the WrestleMania main event. It would have been nuts. Yeah. So I, I was going to follow up with that and I still will um, with that point you just made. So I think the Heyman references 
indicate a return soon um, with two shows left until Crash mm-hmm. of the Castle. And if he does show up, I do think there's the possibility that an element is added to this that we've discussed a little bit on the show where he could potentially come in, politic a little bit, and basically say, hey, look, why does Drew McIntyre deserve to go after both championships? Why, you know, why are we allowing this guy to come in and go after the WWE and the Universal Championship, we should only defend the WWE title against him. I think it's pretty clear that Karrion Cross right now is being set up as an opponent for Drew, not so much an opponent for both of them or for Reigns in particular. So coming out of SmackDown, McIntyre was so freaking hot that I kind of agree with you now. I think he has to win at Clash at the Castle, but at the same time, I don't really know that it's the right decision to take both titles off of Roman Reigns because he is also nuclear hot. And as I mentioned on last week's show, the NFL season is about to begin. So you're about to have Raw going up against this behemoth, not just Raw uh, going against that, but SmackDown, it's not going to be going against the NFL on Friday nights, but WWE as a whole is going to be competing for people's attention against the NFL and against college football. And is this really the time of year that you want to take your biggest draw, Roman Reigns, and take both championships off of him and remove him from the programming, presumably, because if he's going to lose the titles, I don't think he's just going to immediately go into like a feud with Kevin Owens or something like that. You know, I would assume he would take a break. I don't like they have to put it on McIntyre, but they also shouldn't take it off Reigns. So they're just in this really tough spot from a creative standpoint. As far as I'm concerned, McIntyre has been completely reestablished. He is running right now exactly as hot as he was back in 2020, coming off that Raw where he claymored Brock Lesnar three times. Like, Mm -hmm. do you remember that reaction? How crazy Mm -hmm. the crowd went for him then. This, to me, feels like that Drew McIntyre. I don't see how WWE can squander giving him a title when it's making its first pay-per-view appearance in the United Kingdom in 30 years. My only concern about it is because Cross exists here, maybe they do a schmoz finish and he gets involved and they do a triple threat at Crown Jewel. And then they give us Roman and Drew one-on-one at Survivor Series where the title finally changes. I don't know what they're going to do, but it simultaneously feels like they have to change the title and they shouldn't change the title. And I don't know how they fix that. I, I got to say, I'm, I'm starting to think that putting, I'm starting to think that unifying the two titles and putting them together uh, caused some problems. It <laughs> may not have been a good idea. It's almost yeah. as if that idea that we talked about for months as being a bad idea led to some problems. And, and by the way, but, let's it, make, but the thing is, let, like, well, let's, let's make something very clear. Yeah, yeah. We said, we knew that this was going to happen January 1st. Yes. When Brock Lesnar won that title, we go, oh my God, they screwed it up. Like, You have to remember, prior to day one, we were all in on Roman Reigns. There were really no issues with the character. It was running hot. And as soon as they made that one decision, because Reigns couldn't perform at that show because he contracted COVID-19, as soon as they made that decision to put the title on Brock Lesnar, it has been downhill with the world championship from then all the way until now. There's a chance now to kind of take a new direction forward, but we have been dealing with eight months of really crappy booking because of that one moment. Yep. Yep. 
I'm sorry. No problem there. Go ahead. That's why I don't need to do that. But here we are. Well, I have to because it pisses me off. It should never have happened. Yeah, every so. single time. We've been talking about it for uh, eight months and or seven months and 23 days <laughs> ever yep. since January 1st. And we knew that was coming. This is the problem with doing it. And this is the result. But I, I don't think there's any way you can have Drew win and only win one of the titles. Like this is supposed to be the climactic moment, especially for him. And you're kind of watering it down if you only give him one title. My guess is you give you give uh, Drew two. Maybe he relinquishes one. Maybe he gets cheated out of one. Dude, something like that. But I, I, I think if you're going to if you're going to beat Roman, you got to beat Roman. And that means you take everything from him. Well, we will certainly have an opportunity, Chris, to uh, discuss this one last time. Tuesday, as I said, one week from this show as we give our WWE Clash at the Castle ultimate preview. Now we've been rolling with single main events a lot recently here on getting over because this Roman Reigns Drew McIntyre storyline has really dominated the product, especially since the creative change. But WWE came back from commercial 10 minutes into hour three of Raw Monday night when out of absolutely nowhere, Are we doing the whole song here? No, we're not doing the whole song. It was just that. (laughs) And your boy, the Silver King, if you could have seen me sitting on my couch, I did the full Scooby-Doo. I was like looking at my phone. They had just come back from commercial. You're not expecting anything to happen. And I went, like literally had no idea what was happening. I looked up at the screen and I saw the logo. I was like, holy shit. Johnny Gargano is back in WWE. He made his entrance. He's re-signed with WWE, made his debut on Raw. Obviously, he had a short time there in that weird tag team storyline they did a couple of years ago. But he got a huge pop, a Johnny Wrestling chant, two Johnny Wrestling chants. Actually, Gargano was clearly touched. He was extremely excited as he ran down his NXT resume in the ring. He talked about being out of action for nine months, unsure about his future. He said he dreamed of becoming Intercontinental Champion. United States champion and WWE champion. And on top of that, performing at WrestleMania, Gargano said he was being an example for his new child, again, only a few months old, by betting on himself and returning to WWE. It was at that moment, Theory's music hit. Gargano was happy to see him. And the crowd, you know, I, I criticized what happened an hour one a bit ago, immediately starts chanting, who's your daddy at him? which they were already doing, but now had a double meaning with Gargano in the ring, calling back to the way, in addition, of course, to the Vince McMahon stuff. Gargano said he's proud of Theory, who put himself over for all of his recent accomplishments. And Theory basically was like, look, man, the roles have changed. If you want to get my back and help me along instead of me kind of being the one learning under you, cool. If not, you can get the hell out of here. Uh, But Theory also said, hey, everyone likes us together. So let's just make it work, trying to kind of convince Johnny to go along with him. 
He set up for the high five, the one that the way used to do. And Gargano at first feigned like he was going to do it. Instead, he super kicked Theory's head off. Theory sold it like absolute death. And we got a huge pop to end the segment. Now, Chris, there is a ton to unpack here. We are going to talk about this for a while. But the first thing on my mind is that this was probably the first 100% unspoiled, unteased return or debut for a full-time wrestler in years. Like, I, I can't even pinpoint the last time something like this happened. There was no inkling he had re-signed or that there was yes. going to be a surprise in store on Raw. Cleveland, his hometown, came and went last week where we thought, hey, yes. maybe this might happen. It could surprise us. No, here we are randomly in Toronto getting Johnny Gargano coming out of a commercial break in hour three of Raw. This was a very smart move by WWE, not only to buck the expectation, but eschew a hometown, hometown crowd for one that has way more smart fans, that has been starved for wrestling since the start of the pandemic. And you give them Johnny Gargano, where he did win the NXT title at TakeOver Toronto, uh, the NXT tag team titles. So you're all of these things piling up on top of each other. You're like, man, it really did make so much sense. Really, the only thing they could have done to get a better crowd reaction would, would have been to introduce him on SmackDown Friday night in Montreal, just because that crowd is so much better. The only thing I would have done differently is maybe put this at 9 p.m. instead of 10 p.m. But I think WWE, its goal was to draw eyes back into the product for the main event, which was Edge and Damian Priest. But Chris, this to me, this was one of those moments where anyone who has ever attended a wrestling show has probably experienced this. It's getting late in the show or it's early before the show's beginning and you're not sure who's going to open. And you're like, man, I really need to go to the bathroom. I got to take that popcorn break. So you jump off really quick to the concourse. You know, you get four or five minutes during a commercial break and you get a drink or you take a piss really quick. And all of a sudden you hear something and you go, oh my God. And you run as fast as you can to the nearest vom. That's what Raw used to be like back in the day where you'd go yes. up and you're like, oh, we already saw Austin. So I don't need to worry about him. And then Stone Cold's music hits and you run back there. And I imagine that a number of people in that arena on Monday night, that happened to them where the, the Dexter Loomis thing had just happened. They're like, all right, good time to take a piss. And then all of a sudden they hear Johnny Gargano's music and they act just like I did. What is, wait, is this really? Oh my God. And they run and back out there. So we're going to get to what all of this means soon. But dude, I absolutely loved the way this was booked seemingly out of nowhere. I cannot remember the last time something so unexpected popped me so massively. Even with the women at SummerSlam, we had an inkling at least that we would get Bailey. Like we had a feeling Bailey would be there. But I, having I Gargano know. return like this as a pure babyface against one of the best heat generating heels in the company right now, someone with whom he has a storyline history, it was the cherry on top of the entire thing, Chris. Moments like this are why we are so excited about this Triple H era. Trips has the book. It's real and it's spectacular. I feel like I'm going to feel like a big buzzkill here now. Like, okay, love that Johnny Gargano's back. Yeah, he's he, You've said for a long time you always thought he felt bit, felt bit better in WWE and that this is where he should go as opposed to AEW or anywhere else. And I completely agree with that. But I got to say, I am one who often criticizes uh, AEW for missing big moments 
for okay. not taking advantage of the moment that's there. It could be a production issue, could be just something randomly happening with with little consequence. And that's what this felt like, like outside of the excitement. So I'm, I'm sitting there, I hear the music hit, and I look up and I'm like, wait, that sounds familiar. What What is that? What am I hearing? And then I see Gargano's like, oh shit, Johnny Gargano, that's awesome. I'm really mm. excited for him to be back. But then I'm, but then I'm thinking, this is how this is how we did it. Like like of all the times to bring Johnny Gargano back, of all the the, the potential feuds, stories, Champa stuff, like he just comes in off of a commercial break with with that. Like it was it was fine. I liked it. I'm ecstatic that Johnny Gargano's there, but I just couldn't help thinking like. There's so many other ways you could have made this more impactful, even flipping it around. And I'm not going to say what it did for TV ratings or whatever. Flip this around. You have Austin Theory come out, start cutting a promo, and then Gargano's music hits. I think the pop's a lot bigger. I I, I think (sighs) I just was really surprised by the order in which they did things and did it like this. Overall, thrilled that Johnny Gargano's here have really high expectations for him, especially with Triple H in charge now. Like we know the Triple H gets him. So I think he's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I just felt like they kind of didn't make this as big of a moment as they could have. Like, like you're going to be like, remember when Johnny Gargano, you know, came back to WWE that he just showed up out of the commercial. Like that's, that's not a moment to me. I feel like it easily, you easily could have made it a moment. And so I don't know that you easily could have made it anything. And I think, I think your opinion is very fair. It's, it's a legitimate and I, it's one that many people have shared about this. But I think there's a couple of things. The first is you're exactly right that people don't return or debut like this. They used to, but they don't anymore. They haven't recently. Cody Rhodes debuted at WrestleMania, right? And they teased it, but they kind of told you it was going to be him. We saw the three women, Bailey, EO Sky, and Dakota Kai at SummerSlam. People will return to interfere and save someone. Uh, Kenny Omega, you know, for AEW this past Wednesday, it was kind of built up. They needed a partner. It's Kenny Omega. But I think what is missed a lot is a lot of these, Cody, not in particular, but many of these are are returns where someone's out for a long period of time and they come back. They're already established. The fans know who they are, whatever. If you had theory in the ring, uh, making some proclamation and Johnny Gargano's music hit, it's Johnny Gargano interrupting theory. It's not, this is Johnny Gargano's moment. He needed to be able to have the ring to himself to cut that promo because he is a pure white meat baby face. He is the heir apparent to Daniel Bryan, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And he needed to be established in such a way that when his music hit, other things were not going on. The crowd didn't have to worry about keeping their eyes on the action. Commentary didn't have to worry about talking. They laid out. They let the moment speak for itself. They treated this like it was an epic debut return. You have to remember, this guy was a free agent from the company. It was possible he wasn't going to come back at all. The promo that he cut on NXT when he said his farewell, it was very similar to this in that it began with him in the ring by himself being given time because that's what the fans wanted. It's about him connecting to the fans. And if you have him save Tommaso Ciampa from something or interrupt Austin Theory from something, and I don't know why I use both of their first names when neither of them have them anymore, but if you had him do that, it's more about the action and less about, holy shit, Johnny Gargano 
has signed with WWE and is debuting on Raw. So I, I think it's a combination of this not happening frequently enough where it was odd for us. It's not what we normally get. But also, in my opinion, it was the right decision to do it for all those reasons I laid out. Let me also note that Champa's a heel right now. So yes. in what circuit, like if he comes in and saves Champa, then it's this white meat baby face. And you and I know they have a relationship, but the casual fans may not. It's this white meat baby face coming in and saving a heel. Maybe Miz could have turned on him, I guess. They could have done something. But they have creative going in all these different directions right now. There maybe wasn't a way that Triple H said, hey, you know what? I can debut Gargano this way and it's going to make complete storyline sense. Instead, he said, you know what? Let me get this big name free agent. There's two huge name free agents out there. Johnny Gargano and Bray Wyatt. Those are the two. And WWE has gotten at least one of them. In my opinion, Triple H said, let's treat him like he deserves to be treated and like we're going to book him. Because when you have a guy who comes out and says, I want the IC title, the US title, the WWE title, and I want to compete at WrestleMania, you're establishing him as a future main eventer. So I think that's the reason they did it. And that's why I agree that it was the best possible move. I, I don't disagree with any of what you said. And I did really like the promo. And I liked that he said, for those of you who don't know who I am, that was very important. A lot of people don't watch NXT. So you got to, you can't just say Johnny Gargano's here. He's awesome. You have to have him tell them who he is. And that's, I think, been some of the issues with some of the other stuff that's been going on. And so the promo was great. I just think you could have almost done the same thing with Austin Theory just kind of standing in the ring, you know, if, if Gargano had interrupted him. I agree that they presented him as the main event guy he should be. But like like you said, like, it's a little bit different, but they presented Cody Rhodes. It was under a different regime, technically. But Cody Rhodes made his triumphant appearance. We didn't know who he was. They talked about him being a, the biggest free agent coming back. Oh, everyone knew, though. It was leaked. And we didn't. Right. It was leaked. But, uh, but I'm saying, like, not everybody knew. Not everybody follows the dirt sheets and stuff. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of cats who are like, holy crap, Cody Rhodes is back. But the point is that they presented him as a big deal without him saying a single word into, to anybody. Until but he didn't need day. to. It's Wrong. different. I know. I, like I said, I said the promo was good from Gargano. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, saying, I'm just think, explaining. It's not. I'm just saying it's I'm not just, apples to apples. It, it, That's all I'm we saying. don't. Yeah, we don't need to go on this. Server, but I just I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It. You have. You have to remember Cody Rhodes. I don't know exactly how long it was, but he had like seven years or whatever on the main right. roster. He's right, a. Right, right. He's a Rhodes. He was a guy who was an EVP of a of a rival company. He didn't need it for Johnny Gargano. Right. Again, a lot of people, especially in the Toronto crowd, clearly watched NXT, and a lot of people know yeah. who Johnny Gargano yeah. is, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, and so I, that's why I like the promo. I just think I think you, I really think you could have just flipped it, had Austin Theory start a promo, get interrupted by Gargano, people go crazy. Gargano shuts him down, says, "I'm Johnny Gargano. If you don't know who I am, this is who I am. I'm here for the fans. I came back. I got baby wrestling. Yada yada yada." And Austin Theory just kind of stands there. That's how I would have done it. Either way, still ecstatic for Johnny Gargano to be here. Like you said, we're probably one of the last two big free agents that are out, mm -hmm. and uh, and. It's exciting. I, I I think Austin Theory and Gargano also is a great feud if that's what they do, um, possibly. So but we're going to talk really, about that. really yeah. excited about it. Yeah, I, I want to get to the booking in a minute and I would be remiss. I don't I don't know whether Sasha Banks is re-signed or not. So Sasha Banks is, of course, the third. There's three big yes. free agents out there, potentially Sasha Banks being the third. Now, um, I do want to go back and double back on the Daniel Bryan comment, because anyone who's listened to this show for any length of time knows what I've been saying about Gargano for the better part of two years. And that is indeed that with Brian gone, he is the perfect person to come in 
and be the heir apparent in that role. He's the entire package in terms of rallying a crowd as a baby face, getting sympathy, being a fun and formidable heel when that position is needed. He's proven he can do that. He's an excellent wrestler. He's more than serviceable on the mic. I wanted him to stay even when Vince McMahon was still around because I believed with Gargano, the cream would eventually rise to the top as it did with Brian. But with Triple H in charge, it was just, I mean, it's an absolute no-brainer. In less than a month, Chris, we have already gotten Dakota Kai, EO Sky, Karrion Cross, Scarlet, Hit Row, and Dexter Loomis. In my opinion, this individual signing was bigger for WWE's future than all of those people combined. And it popped me as much as what we got on SummerSlam. I thought that was so special what they did with Bailey, Dakota, EO, one after another. I just, it was feel spot activated. Boom, boom, boom. To me, this hit the exact same way. This was a grand slam by Triple mm-hmm. H, in my opinion, in terms of re-signing Gargano, I think we can agree. Re-signing him, number one, and executing the return without any word leaking. That is a rarity yep. in wrestling these days. And then the other thing, conspiracy theory here, um, AEW is in Cleveland on Wednesday. They are. Uh, there were some people wondering if WWE did this to get ahead of that for reasons I'm not even sure of. Uh, I think Sean Rossap said AEW didn't even have that much interest in him. I think he reported. So um, I'm not really sure of the behind the scenes, but the timing again for that, like you said, the timing, it being quiet, not leaking at all. Very interesting and very refreshing. I like not knowing. <laughs> so that was good. Now the re- remaining topic here with Gargano in terms of his immediate booking, is projecting what exactly is going to happen here. It comes at an interesting time for WWE because it was, to me at least, a little surprising to see him on Raw instead of SmackDown, given the drastic difference in the talent roster and how SmackDown badly needs more male single superstars. We've been talking about this since the draft last fall. So the fact that here we are nearly a year later and so many people are are re-debuting on Raw is kind of wild. Now, there are reports that WWE is going to rectify all of this sooner or later with a draft. They're saying perhaps as soon as after Clash of the Castle in September, as opposed to waiting to October or November. In terms of what Gargano does first, there's a lot of ways to go. Later, I'll discuss a potential DIY reunion that suddenly becomes something that is a possibility. But what does seem most likely, obviously, based on what we got Monday, is a feud with Theory. And I could even see a scenario in which the Money in the Bank briefcase is put up for grabs for there. Because Gargano taking that briefcase would be massive. But Theory cheating to win and retain the briefcase could also be like a first step in a long WWE championship chase for Gargano, which if I was booking the damn territory, I would have end at WrestleMania 40. So not 39 coming up, but 18, 20 months from now, giving this guy a long period of time to establish himself win a mid-card title, maybe win the tag team titles, and then put him over as the 2024 Royal Rumble winner. There's really no reason to rush a world title right now for him when you have Drew McIntyre hot as hell. Presumably, Cody Rose is going to come back at the Royal Rumble and be nuclear hot, we would think, going after one at least one of the championships. There's another thing to consider, because we mentioned we were just talking about Roman Reigns a bit ago with both championships. WWE could potentially use the draft as a means of splitting the titles. If Reigns was to retain or if Drew McIntyre was to win the titles at Clash at the Castle, then WWE could come back and say, hey, look, we're doing a draft. We're splitting the rosters. We need a world title. You, the champion, whoever it is, 
needs to relinquish one of the straps. That is something that they could do. So anyway, back to Gargano. I wouldn't rush the world title main event feuds or anything like that. I would give this guy time. Like I said, 18 months, build him up into a can't miss main eventer, and then you pull the trigger. No matter what direction it goes, I can't wait. And that's exactly why this thing is so exciting. Just consider, even not counting a world title situation, matches are now possible in WWE with Seth Rollins, Riddle, AJ Styles, Champa, Gunther, Cody Rhodes, Randy Orton, Finn Balor, Owens, Zayn, Ricochet, Sheamus. I could keep going. I'm not even mentioning people who are in tag teams like Montez Ford or Chad Gable. It's honestly wild what is now possible with Johnny Gargano on this roster. Yeah, look, we we said all year basically about just how thin the roster had gotten through all the cuts over the last two years. And you 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 bring back Cody Rhodes, you bring back Johnny Gargano, you've got two main event quality guys there. Uh, and, and on top of the other returns and everything, uh, things are in a much, much better place now. I love that idea of splitting the title with the draft. Honestly, I hadn't even thought about that. Although I also, the draft being around Survivor Series is always a mess. I would do it right after Survivor Series. You can start new feuds at Survivor Series and draft them into existence the next day. But that's neither here nor there. Johnny Gargano is world champion. Um, yeah, you, you can do it as the Daner Bryan type guy, like you said, but he's behind a lot of guys in line at the moment. You'd probably have to knock him down a few pegs to, to get that uh, kind of sympathy. Hey, they're not going to give it to Johnny Gargano type of situation. Um, but yeah, I, I think with Triple H in charge now, certainly that's on the table. Certainly anything is possible. And it opens up a world of possibilities getting these two guys, Cody and Johnny Gargano on the roster. Like these are, these can be anchors. They don't have to anchor the main event, but they can be anchors on your show once everybody's healthy. And that's good. They're fresh baby faces for a company that has badly needed new main eventers. We've talked Mm -hmm. ad nauseum about the same people getting matches and, you know, and three, you know, feuds going on three, four months at a time. When, When you add talent of this caliber, it's one thing to add, low card talent. And I'm I'm not trying to insult a Dexter Loomis or a Hit Row or or any of them, but you know, they're helpful in in developing low and mid card storylines. But when you can add upper mid carders and main eventers, it really changes the dynamic of your brand and like you said, Cody at WrestleMania, now Johnny Gargano, potentially Bray Wyatt, you know, if that is going to happen, it's at least out there, it's a possibility. You bring those three people in and the entire roster feels replenished despite all the people that they lost. The Andrades, mm-hmm. the Miros, the Malachi Blacks. You know, these people I loved and I wanted to be mainstays of the main roster. If they're able to bring some of these names back and they already have a couple of them, it really does speak well for the future of WWE from a main event standpoint. Uh, one last thing before we move on to the good, the bad, and the ugly. It is also worth noting, you know, for those who don't know, uh, Johnny Gargano is his real name and he's come back as his real name, which is not something that has been happening in WWE recently. Now, I'm not sure what that means for other talents, but I would love it if, you know, I'm not expecting, for example, Gunther to become Walter again. I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think Theory could potentially add Austin back. Please. Champa could potentially add Tommaso back. I don't even think that's necessary. I like Champa on its own, but I I hope that some of those small things, if T-Bar gets repackaged, he could be Dijak again. Let's not not get too out of hand here. Or or Dijakovic or whatever. Um, So my point is, is I I don't necessarily think that 
This is a massive change. Obviously, Io Shirai still was Io Sky when she made her return, but it is clear that there's at least some flexibility and willingness. Another thing with Johnny Gargano, he's a big Twitch guy with the video game stuff. And he yes. has basically said he wouldn't go anywhere that did not allow him to continue doing that. We spoke, you know, months upon months ago of that edict that WWE laid down and how talent was really pissed off about that. If those coffers start to open up a little bit and they're able to make a little bit of money and it's not a restriction for talents like Johnny Gargano to do the channel that they want to do, suddenly that makes WWE even more attractive to potential free agents coming out of AEW in the future. So all of these things um, are huge positives and steps in the right direction. I don't want to, you know, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Um, stretch this one development into something larger, but to, it's a sign that at least WWE is more flexible than it had been. Yes, that's good. Extrapolate that's good. is the word I was looking for. I didn't want to extrapolate it, but I did want to point that out. All right, Chris, uh, large main event this week, as we said, double main event covering Roman Reigns, Drew McIntyre, and Johnny Gargano. But what that means is we still have plenty to cover from this past week in WWE, and we are about to do that in the good, the bad, and the ugly. This was probably the first week where I legitimately struggled to put these segments in order because we could start with Ronda Rousey, or we could start with the Intercontinental Championship number one contender match, or Edge in the main event of a Raw in Toronto. Like there were so many different things, but I actually do want to start with that number one contendership for the Intercontinental title. It was a fatal five way match: Ricochet, Madcap Moss, Sheamus, Happy Corbin, and Sami Zayn. Michael Cole established at the beginning of the match how Sheamus has never won the Intercontinental title, and said that this is the one strap that has eluded him throughout his entire career. Sammy got a truly massive hometown pop for his entrance. He got constant Olay chance, let's go Sammy chance during the match. And anyone who touched him, heel or babyface, it didn't matter. They got booed. And you could see how much this meant to him during the match. Michael Cole even made an El Generico reference under his breath, which totally popped me. Ricochet hit a great Tornado DDT and a running shooting star press on Corbin. Sheamus somehow had a massively bruised thigh, like five minutes into the match at ringside. He hit two Irish curses and mocked Gunther's pose in the middle of the ring. Sheamus then, um, he beat on three guys' chests. That's the most action I've had all year. Um, Zane finally got a hot run with a Tope Con Hero on Sheamus and Corbin. He caught Rick with a Mishinoku driver for a 2.5 and Moss with a blue thunderbomb for a false finish. Zane then ate avalanche white noise from Sheamus and sold a shoulder. Officials helped him to the back after that. This, by the way, was a callback to Sammy's debut on the main roster when he separated his shoulder, celebrating before his match against John Cena. There was a one-man super duperplex by Moss during the commercial break. Moss then hit an avalanche fallaway slam on Sheamus. Rick hit a springboard moonsault on Moss for a near fall. Fans chanted, we want Sammy. Corbin hit a rack neckbreaker on Ricochet for a near fall. And Sheamus then came back to Moss with a pump knee for a 2.8. Moss countered a bro kick and Rick hit the recoil. Then Ricochet hit a perfect 450 on Sheamus, but Corbin broke the fall. He escaped end of days before Sammy limped his ass back out for another huge pop from the crowd. He hit Rick with an exploder and a haluva kick. 
but Corbin broke the fall and threw Zayn shoulder first into the post. Corbin then went for end of days on Ricochet when Sheamus caught him mid-move with the brogue kick for the win. Exceptional wrestling. Exceptional booking. And holy shit, was this awesome. They used the hometown in such a smart way to move Sammy into a clear babyface role. I think even during this whole bloodline drama, he's been kind of straddling the line. But this was an example of them saying, hey, look, he's a good guy trying to advance his career, getting into their good graces. And we're going to use the crowd and doing the injury, you know, him go to the back and then come back out. We're going to use that to solidify it. And just as important as that was, WWE also gave us the right winner. It always had to be Sheamus versus Gunther in the United Kingdom. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> An ultimate big meaty match. I was juiced about it Friday night. I'm juiced talking about it right now. And man, oh man, am I going to be juiced for this at Clash at the Castle. This I almost cut him off. This was obviously good. I gave it a 4.25 star A grade. Most definitely a good. Now, look, I think it was last week we talked about Gunther and Shinsuke and you wanted to run it back at Clash of the Castle. And I was like, yeah, I kind of want to see somebody else. I don't even remember if we mentioned Sheamus. I don't know that we did. But as, but as soon as I realized we're getting Sheamus versus Gunther, I was just like, oh, shit, I'm all in on this. Like, these guys are going to beat the absolute dog piss out of each other. And it's going it makes perfect sense. Going back to the UK like this is it. Like this is a big time match. This is a this is a star making moment for Gunther on this stage against this opponent, which is much needed because he's kind of just beat the crap out of nobody so far. I'm fired up about this. And this was definitely a good segment. Not only was this an extremely good segment, Chris, this is going to be the first time the Intercontinental title is defended on a premium live event since WrestleMania 37. That was in 2021. (laughs) It has been 17 months. Absolutely absurd. At least it's going to be rectified and rectified in a major way with a banger match. Gunther, Sheamus, I absolutely cannot wait. Over on Raw, Bobby Lashley and AJ Styles fought The Miz and Ciampa. Twice backstage, Adam Pearce was shown directing security with a picture of Dexter Loomis in his hands. Commentary told us that Lashley does a shoot push-up challenge backstage where no one else on the roster can do half as many as him to the point that it makes people vomit. Uh, It was a cool random note. I just like that commentary told us a fact that was not written in their script or part of their kayfabe creative. Lashley threw Champa outside into Miz and Styles was singled out for a while until Lashley got the hot tag, hitting a DDT and Flatliner simultaneously on the heels. There was a really cool spot where Lashley and Styles did a two-man vertical suplex and Styles like handed the person off to Lashley midair and Lashley just kept him delayed in the vertical like stand, uh, the upside down stand, handstand if you want to call it, uh, before delivering the suplex. I've just never seen that before. Champa got Lashley with Willow's Bell for a 2.5. Lashley countered fairytale ending with a spear. Styles hit a flying forearm outside on Miz, but when he backed up against the barricade, a guy wearing a black hoodie who was not Loomis tried to attack him. Miz got backed up against the other corner of the barricade when suddenly 
Loomis revealed himself taking off a black helmet. He was in disguise as security the entire show. We didn't know it. Loomis wrapped his arm around the neck of Miz, not Styles, dragging Miz over the barricade and out of the arena for a no contest. Styles took down Champa with a phenomenal forearm and lashed at the spear just so the faces could stand tall and get a crowd pop. Quickly on the match, fun wrestling. I didn't mind the no contest finish because nothing at all was at stake and it advanced a larger story. Regarding Loomis, as Tony Kornheiser would say, and I can't find a clip of it for a sound drop, I would love to. I believe I had that. Last <laughs> week, I talked about Styles being the red herring and Miz being the target of Loomis. And here we go. You know, he, he interrupted Miz doing heel antics outside the ring last time, and he caught Miz here and dragged him to the back. The proof was in the pudding. So I appreciate the swerve. It gets a good because the angle, super interesting. Yeah, definitely super interesting. And yes, you did call that. So I'm glad you pointed that out. The match was fun. You know, AJ and Bobby together, you know, interesting tag team. It, this was one of those matches like, all right, I'm like enjoying this match, but like not much is really going on. I'm not paying attention. And then the non-Loomis guy comes and I was like, ooh, that's interesting. And they didn't like say who it was. I don't know who it was. I haven't seen. Um, so that was nice. And then Loomis executed the kidnapping of the Miz beautifully. Like the facial expressions, the dragging him back without looking, basically, <laughs> and pulling him down into that spot. Uh, that was great. And it, it, this always kind of brings up the kayfabe part of like, hey, somebody just got kidnapped on your show. Like, shouldn't, shouldn't this be a big deal or something like that? But I, I, I'm usually willing to suspend my disbelief on stuff like that. I just really hope um, they have a good plan with this because I think back to when the Wyatt family kidnapped Kane, I think twice. I think they kidnapped the Undertaker ones and just like nothing came of that. So if you're going to do a kidnapping angle, like you really got to go in on it and they have so far. And then you got to have a good like follow up, a good acknowledgement of, hey, where the hell's the Miz? Something's going on. So uh, cautiously optimistic um, and definitely a good. Now, it's worth noting, Chris, that this immediately preceded the commercial break ahead of Gargano's debut. Obviously, Loomis, going back to NXT, had an on-screen relationship with Gargano and NXT. Theory, of course, was in the way with Gargano. And with Miz kidnapped, suddenly Ciampa may be on his own with Gargano back in the fold, which does create an opportunity to reform DIY. So I don't know if this was directly related to Gargano or not. There's a lot of people theorizing that. But I am leaning right now towards it being coincidental. I don't know yeah. that babyface Johnny Gargano would take stalker Dexter Loomis and have him kidnap the Miz. That way he could team with his best friend who's a heel currently. Like it's yeah. it just it doesn't really fit together right now. But I yeah. do think and, it's cool yeah. that Loomis, Champa, uh, Theory, and Gargano are all on Raw. It's just for, as an NXT black and gold original fan, someone who loved all those guys, it's just really cool to see. It is. Yeah, and I, and I don't think this whole thing is an elaborate storyline for the way you know right i don't think so either which is not like the biggest thing in nxt either i don't barely even remember it really so uh, it's more likely coincidence but i did like that they acknowledge like austin theory johnny gargano daddy type of stuff like they did make some winks and acknowledgements sort of which is nice but no i don't think it's a continuation of some old nxt storyline or something right or restarting it or yeah i i just i think i just think it's coincidental that it was back to back in that way that's all yeah I did want to note, um, because I was originally going to talk about this at the beginning of the segment, but I wanted to get those things out of the way because they did uh, kind of connect to things we discussed in the main event. 
But Raw on Monday night, I thought it started in such a cool way. Just as the Titantron Pyro was beginning, it cut off so that a cameraman could run through the tunnel to gorilla position where Riddle and Seth Rollins were brawling. That continued out into the crowd down at ringside. Riddle splashed Rollins off the barricade along with a ton of officials uh, before they eventually got separated and brought to the back. And then once everyone actually got put backstage and the stage was clear, they finished the pyro. So they like picked up in the middle of the pyro and did like the remainder of it. We went from not getting pyro with any consistency to open shows to not only getting it, but having it used in creative ways. So I know this wasn't a match. It wasn't a backstage segment. The Riddle and Rollins thing again, we still don't have a good reason. I mean, it's it's a decent reason why why they're fighting and feuding, but it hasn't really been strongly established. So the attack, exciting, sure, but I'm giving a good to the creativity around the pyro to open Raw. Yeah, that was a little bit different because look, it's only been four or five weeks and they've done the open up with a brawl thing like multiple times already. So like that they've, you don't want to overdo that too much, but this one was done differently. It was extended. It, it was, it did add to the idea that they hate each other. I still, still like you said, kind of missing the why this is happening type of deal. But Riddle continues to have more of an edge since SummerSlam. And I think that's been really good for his character. So uh, yeah, this is a good. All right. Uh, Dolph Ziggler fought Finn Balor backstage. Ziggler admitted theory got the best of him, but said he wished that he would follow his lead because he has the money in the bank briefcase and Ziggler has experience there. Balor walked up and absolutely trashed Ziggler for using younger talent to stay relevant. So Ziggler pointed out they're basically the same age and then slugged (laughs) him in gorilla position and called him a little bitch. This was actually a great little segment. Ziggler punked his ass. Balor got a strong uh, reaction from the crowd for taking that punch. And I kind of wish Ziggler like had gone a little bit further and said, dude, we're like the same age. And Rhea Ripley's in your group. She's like 25. If anyone's using younger talent, it's you. So I think he may have missed that part of it, but I just loved it. Uh, Balor then got, I thought, a really strong heel remix of his theme. It's basically like a Judgment Day remix mm-hmm. of his entrance theme. And Ripley was by his side. Ziggler got Irish whipped sternum first into the corner. Balor countered a Famouser into a Liger bomb. Then Ziggler countered 1916 into the Famouser for a 2.8. Ziggler ate a shotgun dropkick, but dodged the coup de gras, coming back with a zigzag for a 2.9 false finish. that got the first big pop on Raw, period, because the early stuff didn't. Balor distracted the referee as Ripley slugged Ziggler in the face. Balor then followed with 1916 and the coup de gras for the win in 13 minutes. Now, outside of Ziggler, literally moving his body to the ropes and sticking his jaw out like a moron so Ripley could punch him. It was like so telegraphed. It was crazy. Outside of that in the finish, this was an extremely solid match. I did downgrade it slightly. The finish was odd for 3.5 stars and a B. But if you were at 3.75 or even four, I would accept it because these two were really good in the ring together. Balor had to get the win. But more importantly, all three of them, Balor, Ziggler, and Ripley, came out of it looking good. So obviously that's my grade. Loved the pre-match segment, like you said. Again, both guys, again, sounded like normal people who were just pissed off at each other and talking crap to each other. That was, it didn't sound corny at all. I loved it. Also, I think Ziggler, I think it was Ziggler who made a comment saying um, he had the whole, or he said uh, Theory had the whole world in his hands. And a lot of people, I saw some people wondering yes. if that was a 
a Bray Wyatt potential reference or something like that. Uh, we'll see. Um, but yeah, no, this was great. This was a, it's, again, a good, it's not a big feud. It's a setup for a match. You give some guys some reasons to fight. You talk a little trash beforehand to raise the energy. You go out and have a good match. Like by the book, good type of stuff. Nothing in that alone, nothing to run home about, but it was really solid, really well executed. And again, one of those situations where I think everybody can kind of look good coming out of it. Like Ziggler talked some crap to Finn Balor and got to look good in that, that segment. Balor wins the match. Off we go. Exactly. So let's get to the main event of Raw. Edge against Damian Priest. We'll stick with the Judgment Day theme. Judgment Day backstage talked about sending Edge back into retirement. Like Balor, Priest got a heel remix version of his theme for his solo entrance. So it's pretty clear that, I don't know whether they're going away from um, the song that they initially had, which was the group that Edge loves. I don't know if they're kind of going away from that for the trio or if they're going to continue using it for when they come out as a group and just do a heel remix of all of their individual themes. But I appreciate it. I saw some people clowning on the themes. They thought they were generic and didn't like them. I don't know how they're generic when it's their real themes remixed. I couldn't tell. I I couldn't tell it was a remix. I couldn't really make out uh, Priest, but I, from what I could hear of Ballers, I really liked it. Well, I didn't pick up that it was actually a remix, but I I, I believe you that it was, but I just, in general, when I heard it, I liked his, the other one, I couldn't really tell. The audio mixing on Raw Monday was just terrible, so nothing sounded like clear, and I think that was maybe part of it, but if they release it, or if you can listen to another clip, you'll definitely hear, like, elements from both of their themes where... It makes it very clear it it's either a remix of the theme or elements of their themes are used in these. But I think as long as they're heels, as long as they're in Judgment Day, having something different, that's a positive as far as I'm concerned. Now, Edge, of course, came out to Metalingus. He looked incredible. Beth Phoenix was ringside. She was really emotional watching Edge and listening to the crowd reaction for him in Toronto. I thought it was the coolest thing, dude. When Edge came out, he sing- singled out one random girl in the crowd and like ran up to her and made her life. Did yeah. you see that? Like he like I did. He like put his like, hands is- on the bar right in front of her and like screamed in her face. Like, ugh. I was like, is that his daughter or something? Like, what what is this? I thought it was somebody special, but yeah. I just think he like saw a little girl and was like, I'm gonna make her night. It was yeah, very cool the way he did that. Um. Anyway, Edge powerbomb Priest into the top of the Timekeeper's barricade, which was so cool, and later splashed him outside. Both got big pops. Priest then put Edge through the announce table with a razor's edge as we got our second commercial break inside the first 11 minutes of the match. Edge took Priest out of the corner with a Huracarana, which was crazy, but Priest countered a spear with a roundhouse kick and hit Unprettier, which is Christian's finisher, to a really big pop and a near fall. Edge came back with Education for a near fall, but Priest entered with the Reckoning. Priest went for a spear. Edge countered with Priest's own South of Heaven for another near fall. Edge went for a really weird sharpshooter when Priest kicked him into the referee, then he hit South of Heaven himself on Edge, but no one was there to count, so he went outside and got two chairs. Priest went for the concerto, Edge rolled away, broke a bar off a chair, and hit the crossface with the bar in his mouth for like 10 seconds. It was really short. Then he went for a spear, but Priest grabbed the bar and drilled Edge in the head with it for a slow count when the referee got back inside, and a 2.8 falls finish. Edge countered another Razor's Edge with a fucking Canadian Destroyer and hit the spear coming back for the one, two, three in 19 minutes. Again, let me clarify. 48-year-old, six-foot-five edge hit a picture-perfect Canadian destroyer in the finish. Can we let that sink in just for a little bit? Uh, edge then went for the concerto himself when Ripley ran in for a low blow. 
Balor then appeared for a coup de grace on edge. Balor went to grab both chairs and do a concerto himself. When Beth finally jumped over the barricade, stole the chair away and slammed it on the canvas, threatening them. Ripley gave her a death stare. The guys had to hold Rhea back from attacking Beth. And that is how the show ended. The Mysterios were nowhere to be found. This match banged. Now it did start slow, I admit. I presume because we got the two commercial breaks and there was no reason for them to do high intensity work if no one's going to see it. But the final seven minutes of this match were outstanding. Not every highly rated match needs to be fast paced. And I appreciated all of the storytelling aspects, the moves that they did. I was between a couple grades. I landed on 4.25 stars and an A. So that's clearly good for the match. And the post-match was good too, in terms of continuing the storyline development, possibly involving Beth to counter Rhea, whether that's in the ring or at ringside. Now, I would personally prefer to see Balor Edge at Clash at the Castle and Ripley Phoenix maybe at Survivor Series or something. But WWE, they delivered a tremendous main event. They gave it plenty of time. And obviously, we got the right winner. Correct on all fronts. Match was a lot of fun. I mean, you mentioned the Canadian Destroyer. You mentioned how tall both of these guys are. Like, that makes it especially difficult and impressive. That It wasn't just like Edge doing it to a small guy or something like he did it to a huge guy, and Edge himself is really tall. Like, that is remarkable. This match was a lot of fun. Like I said, picked up a lot more as it went on. And then you get to the, you get to the end. And first off, I got to say, I did think for a second that Beth was going to turn and hit Edge. Oh, <laughs> she you did. She was going to join the Judgment Day. Yeah. She kept pausing and, like, looking to check on Edge. And I was just waiting for it. I was like, oh, God, she's going to join the Judgment Day. This isn't going to make any sense. What are we doing? And then she didn't. So I was like, okay, good. But it also go, it kind of goes back to the thing I criticized at SummerSlam about the, the Bailey group coming out was that they backed off when they had, a, I think, a three-on-two advantage. This was a one-on, this was a three-on-one, but Beth had the chair. And she was swinging it and hitting the ground and like looked threatening with it. And it made complete sense that the three of them would back off. Like it, it, it worked totally other than me thinking for a second, Beth was going to join the judgment day. Uh, this was a great, a great segment. And makes you wonder if we do do another intergender type of match with edge and somebody in Beth Phoenix, potentially. For sure. Now we should also note that after raw went off the air, edge cut a promo in front of the crowd telling all the Torontonians how great it was to be there after his long journey back to the ring. He also indicated that he wanted to retire in Toronto. And he said, since WWE usually visits in August, to basically keep an eye out for one year from now for that to happen. Now, mm -hmm. I obviously appreciate that sentiment, but if Edge is going to retire, it really feels like it should be at WrestleMania 40. Like why, you know, I know it's his hometown, but why would you retire on a random Raw or something in Toronto? when you can retire at a major show. This run, his second run, it's been tremendous, but there is so much he can still do. I mean, we're talking about all these new people that are signing with WWE. And honestly, man, I really wouldn't hate another title reign for him. That should not be out of the question as long as it works within the confines of a storyline. If Cody Rhodes wins coming out of WrestleMania, maybe Edge can turn heel and be the guy to take him off Cody. You would want him to lose to someone, a legend, someone exceptionally strong, if and when he drops the title. So I do hope that if it is one year from now, we get a title reign or something like that. And if it is one year from now, that between now and then, 
we see him constantly. I don't want three month storylines where he's fighting the same person for three months, takes two months off, comes back and does another one of those. They got to get him, if it is just one year left, in front of as many different superstars as they possibly can, both to put people over and both so we get all of these dream matches, Edge and Johnny Gargano, Edge and, you know, I was going to say AJ Styles, but they kind of did that. But I think you get what I'm saying. All of these really interesting people that he could be wrestling, dream matches, final feuds. I would love to see another Edge and John Cena match. Run it back one last time. Long story short, what I'm trying to say is I'm not ready for him to be done in a year, but at 48, becoming 49, maybe 50 by then, I certainly understand it. Yeah, I'm not done either, but it's also important to remember that Edge didn't get to retire the way he wanted to the first time. So, you know, he probably has a way in mind that he wants to do it that doesn't involve being the day after WrestleMania because that's what it was last time. Um, so I, I don't know about Edge's future. I It's like we, we talked earlier about all the new kind of fresh young people in the company and like Edge doesn't need a title run. Now, if you split the titles, that would make it easier. But you feel like Edge is almost 50. What does he need the title for? And yet you feel like he should have gotten it at some point during his first comeback. You know, that was the whole argument for the Dan O'Brien, Roman Reigns, Edge triple threat match at WrestleMania 37 was it was supposed to be Edge's moment and Dan O'Brien was taking that away from him. That was the story. And then ultimately Edge didn't get his moment. And so it kind of just uh, I think we did Edge Roman at Money in the Bank that year. But mm. but he never won the title despite being in the picture for a while. And I think we all thought it was going to happen. And we felt he was a legitimate challenger also. Yeah. Yeah. And then it didn't and it still hasn't. And now it's like, well, now we got a bunch of new people back. Does Edge have, do we have room for an Edge title reign? I don't know. Maybe it's only for a month. I'm a fan of hot potatoing the title like they used to in the Attitude Era. So, right. I mean, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind Edge winning the title, losing it a month later or something like that. What but, do you think about what I, what I booked with Cody winning at WrestleMania 39 and then, you know, four or five, six I just, months later. I just think people want to cheer Edge. Yeah. And maybe. heel Edge is, is, is tough. And it, yeah, Edge winning it as a face would be, would be the way to do it because that's the final kind of achievement for him. I do think that's a very fair and good point about that. No question. Uh, let's move to the Women's Tag Team Championship Tournament. So we'll start on SmackDown. We had Natalia and Sonya Deville originally scheduled against Zoe Stark and Nikita Lyons. But what ended up happening is Toxic Attraction replaced them in the tournament. Stark suffered a concussion during NXT Heat Wave, which obviously was unfortunate. And though WWE didn't say as much, Lyons is another anti-vax person in WWE which meant she couldn't enter the country without a quarantine. Now, I have no idea what they would have done if Stark wasn't injured, but maybe there would have been an attack or something at Heatwave or afterward to take them out of the match. Either way, as I said when this tournament was announced, Toxic should have been there from the start in this position, and Lions had no business wrestling on the main roster, and I just don't understand why WWE was not on top of this issue from the onset of booking the tournament. So to me, that was very odd. Anyway, in terms of what happened here, Bailey's group, which it seems like is going to be called Damage Control, even though that has not been officially announced, they walked through the crowd and sat up front ringside before the match. Bailey immediately got back to antagonizing Michael Cole, which was awesome. There was also a short video package for Toxic and their entrance, I thought, was main roster ready. They looked great. They dominated early. JC Jane hit a short-range cannonball that looked like it squashed DeVille. Natty got a strong baby face pop in Montreal with the hot tag. She moved, I thought, like she was 10 years younger just because she was in front of a Canadian crowd. 
Jane beat DeVille's ass outside. Natty took Gigi Dolan down with a lariat, but Jane got a blind tag. Natty then put Dolan in the sharpshooter when Jane snuck in from behind and rolled her up with leverage for the upset win. Natty's won enough in Canada where I thought this was fine to swallow for her to take an L, though it would have been nice for her to get the pop, but Toxic had to go over here. First match on the main roster, a real tag team, and Natty made them look really good. I gave him three stars and a B minus. Fun spots, obviously good. Yep, definitely good. It was nice to see Toxic Attraction up there. We know that they're ready made for the spot. It was weird them being the replacement team, but Sonya and, and Natty weren't really going anywhere. Fine match, perfectly fine, good segment. Now, Chris, since it is still technically the summer of 2022, we are not allowed to have nice things. WWE announced Monday that Dolan suffered, quote, injuries, which means Toxic is now out of the tournament and they're going to do a second chance qualifier Friday on SmackDown. And I'm glad they're doing a second chance qualifier instead of a direct replacement because it is the second round. So you want someone to win their way into it as opposed to basically jumping into the tournament and getting a bye. Toxic was probably going to lose the semifinal anyway, so it doesn't seem the end of the world booking-wise, but it is still unfortunate. Now, moving over to Raw, there's a couple different segments here. The first is that Trish Stratus was really the first segment on Raw after that Rollins and Riddle attack. She got a few chants and said she's been doing a lot of thinking when Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky entered. They marked out saying they're big fans but wondered why she was there. Trish said she was there to support Edge and also make an announcement when they trolled her saying they actually don't like her and it's their ring now. Bianca Belair came out and pushed Stratus over. Uh, Trish took off her jacket and said she'll unretire if Bailey doesn't stop running her mouth. Bailey threatened, so Asuka and Alexa Bliss entered. And then once they got there, like the whole thing kind of fizzled. Like, I'm not giving a segment where Trish and Bailey went face to face anything but a good. It's just not going to happen. That said, this reminded me of one of those like Saturday Night Live sketches where they have a great beginning, they have a great middle, they're hitting all the jokes, but they just don't know how to get out of it. There was no ultimate purpose here. Stratus never made any statement or announcement, despite teasing us two times that she was potentially going to say something. The crowd didn't really pop because people were just standing in the ring talking, and it wasn't one of those promo segments where there's really good insults that pops the crowd. So really, this just should have been far better than it was. And while the crowd was happy to see Trish, like I said to start the show, it was ice cold for the first hour of Raw, and this didn't get any benefit from a strong crowd reaction. So it was good, but it really should have been better. Yeah, I think good, but easily could have been better is a good point. The, the Trish stuff, I I don't know. I mean, she's come back for some Royal Rumbles. We had hoped, I think, WrestleMania or SummerSlam or something a year or so ago. We were hoping she to fought lead Charlotte Trish. at one point, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. And Lita fought Becky at Crown Jewel. Right. I think it was. Maybe that's what year. it is. Maybe we're going to get Trish Stratus and Bailey at Crown Jewel this year. I can see We that. may be doing that. And that's like, we call it blood money in the sand for a reason. It we, is. We, the okay. idea that you get the lead of return match, you get the potential Trish return match, and you're doing them in Saudi Arabia just really sucks. Yep. And yeah, I, we, we had, and we didn't get any more from Lita. I don't think we were hoping for a bigger run or something. And, just nothing that was unfortunate. I'm, I'm guessing the same with Trish. Um, so yeah, this kind of didn't go anywhere and I'm kind of dreading it was going to set up a crown jewel match. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to see that match. Don't get me wrong. That is a dream yeah. match. Trish Stratus and, and Bailey. Just unfortunate the location it would take place, not in front of fans that would really pop for Care. it. Right. That's, yep. 
that's the other thing. It's 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 an injustice that like, yeah, people will cheer for her there, but it's not the same as if they did it and, in Chicago or Toronto. And that and that it'll be used to say, hey, look, Saudi Arabia is making all this progress. They're True. But I think I think we are a little past that just because women's women have rest, now wrestled multiple shows there. So. Right. But they made the point. I think the Becky Lita match was the first singles. No, match, we had Natalia and no, whoever right. the first time. And then. Yeah. Yeah. But no, but my point is, is I don't think it's that uncommon anymore. It's not special anymore is really what I'm trying to say. So. But look, mm-hmm. if, she, if she gets a payday individually, good for Trish. But in totality, if that is what happens, not the most ideal situation. Let's get to the second women's tag team championship, uh, I guess, match. The semi, uh, second round match. I was going to say semifinal. Second round match. Asuka and Bliss against Kai and Sky. This was planned. This match began for 30 seconds before a commercial, and it seemed to almost restart when we came back from the commercial break. It was really odd, and part of that strange production that I talked about through the first hour of Raw. Asuka and Io were in the ring together for the first time and the crowd was dead silent. Bliss did a cannonball off the apron. Way later, Asuka got half of a hot tag. Io did a great momentum springboard missile dropkick, which was the spot of the match and one of the best spots on the entire show. Dakota dodged the hip attack and booted Asuka for a near fall. Bliss tagged, hit a double DDT on the heels. Both of them sold it like death. It was really cool. Asuka tagged in for an assisted Russian leg sweep neckbreaker and put Dakota in a spider submission, but Sky broke it up. Kai got double knees on Twisted Bliss, but Asuka tagged. Kai missed a running boot and Sky blind tagged. Asuka made Dakota tap only to realize that Io was the legal woman. Io caught her with a crucifix style roll up for the win in 19 minutes. The lack of fan energy here really affected the match, but it was also disjointed in parts despite some pretty strong sequences that I thought threaded the entire thing together. Bliss was clearly the weak link of the four women in the ring. I went 3.25 stars on a B, but again, this was something that should have been far better given the talent and given 19 minutes in the ring, the match should have been more exciting. It was good, still disappointing. The right team won, the finish was solid. Yeah, it was good. This is an example of something I mentioned at the beginning of the show, which was that there's a lot of wrestling going on and sometimes kind of feels too long. And it's not the it's it's 19 minutes of mostly WWE style wrestling as opposed to like flippy AEW stuff that where it kind of goes by quicker. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it, it kind of dragged a little bit for a bit. It was fine. I didn't hate it. I You know, we, we talk all the time about women not getting enough time. Not going to complain too much about getting about them getting too much time. Um, so it was, uh, it was fine. It was good. I, I liked the finish. I, I did like the finish. It was a creative way to kind of get out of it and and, and do it. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that doesn't happen more often. You just you miss the tag and then mm-hmm. you, you think you have a one. You don't. It's it, it's an easy way to do a finish. Worked for me. Uh, 19 minutes. That was. I forget. Is that longer than the entire Queen's yes, Crown tournament? It was. Yeah. This single so, match was uh, longer than the whole. Again, it, it, it's it's a good problem to have. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, those are my thoughts. I, I just want to note before we move on, I did like how some seeds were laid for Asuka and Io to feud because Sky tagged out early in the match when Asuka was tagged in, scared of her. And then obviously she rolled her up blind for the finish at the end. The other thing I'll note is both of the women's matches had roll up finishes, which obviously is something that pisses me off. But both of them were done in a way where it was not the lazy roll-up. Uh, on the first one, JC Jane had significant momentum on the roll-up where like she pinned her legs back and like, hey now. And uh, you know, it was something like that. This one, EO like 
locked the arms down with her knees while rolling mm-hmm. her up simultaneously. So in both situations, not the most ideal way to finish a match, but neither was lazy. And I think if we had the same match two months ago, which we wouldn't have had because the tournament wouldn't have started, it would have been eight minutes with a regular roll up. And we would have said, oh, it was good because there was some good wrestling, but really disappointed. No, this was really good. There was many moments in here that was good wrestling. But unfortunately, I just did think with those four women, we should have gotten a better match, especially given that much time. Anyway, uh, there was more from this group on the show. We ended up with a Bailey Aaliyah match. It was unexplained why Aaliyah was on Raw at first, let alone on Raw without Raquel Rodriguez. Bailey's group came up to talk trash and intimidate her when Trish stood by her side and dared Bailey to get into the ring for the first time since returning. So this match was set because of that. Now, in terms of this match happening, I figured WWE probably wanted to start some build to the finals of the tournament. I do think Raquel Rodriguez and Aaliyah will come out as the baby faces from the other side. But as it turns out, Aaliyah is from Toronto. So it obviously made sense, though I don't know that anyone other than maybe her parents knew that she was a Torontonian. Bailey put double knees into Aaliyah's abdomen while elevated in the corner. Aaliyah hit Trisha's running bulldog outside, plus a single leg crab. But Bailey grabbed her hair and hit the rose plant to win in six minutes. This is one of those rare matches where, like, I was fine that it was six minutes. It could have gotten less time and I would have been fine with it. The Bailey ring rust angle, it's okay. I do think we need to reconsider on this show in this segment the way we grade things, though, because it doesn't seem like we're going to get much that's ugly. So even though there was nothing wrong with this, at the same time, it wasn't good in the traditional sense. So I'm actually going to go with bad here, not because anything was wrong, but more like it was boring as sin. Yes. Yep. And to the point about Raquel not being there, I'm glad that uh, Bailey pointed that out in a promo. <laughs> She's like, where is your tactic partner or whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like that. And yeah, when they came back from Aaliyah comes out, which, by the way, I think she has an underrated theme. I think it's a real solid. It's very good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. So that's good. They come back from commercial and she's crying in the ring, um, which I assume was because of being in Toronto and all that stuff. So, yeah, like this should have been a squash. The ring rust angle, like I kind of get the idea. You know, kind of wonder if Kenny Omega is doing the same thing in AEW, but like, right, right. This, this did not need to be this long. This just kind of dragged for it for a, for a result that we all knew was coming. It just it kind of took a lot of time, right? Like Bailey's a faction, and, and, and I'll give it, I'll give it, I'll give it, I'll probably give it a bad for the same reason as you did. Like Bailey is a faction leader, so she should not be dealing with or, or struggling with literally the lowest woman on the entire roster right now. Mm-hmm. Aaliyah is, is the lowest low card wrestler right now. And again, six minutes was fine. Like, I'm not complaining that they didn't give us a three or four minute match. But if you did want to kind of note that, hey, Bailey's great and Aaliyah isn't, this would have been a really good way to do that. Instead, Aaliyah got plenty of offense in on Bailey. And, and you know what? Maybe it was Bailey saying, I don't want to do that. Like, I want to try to put her over a little bit. So I'm not trying to criticize them giving us wrestling, but. It just seemed like a weird spot. It wasn't a very good, and it wasn't certainly entertaining, them in the ring together. On SmackDown, Ronda Rousey entered through the crowd to open the show, with announcers selling that she was suspended and wasn't supposed to be there. She said she paid her fine, and her suspension should be lifted. 
Fans were really hot for her. Adam Pierce said it doesn't work that way and asked her to peacefully leave the ring. Rousey said she was peaceful last week, but would be violent this week. She dominated four security jobbers and put an armbar on the last guy. Two officers came out and Rousey allowed herself to be cuffed and perp walked to the back as fans booed. She talked trash also and got driven out of the arena, as I said, in the cop car as Roman Reigns SUV came in. Rousey was solid here. It was a simple promo. The fans completely bought into the rebellious gimmick, but it kind of felt like the second half of what should have happened last week. Now, it's great that Rousey is finally getting over naturally as a babyface. This is totally working for her. I'm not discounting that at all. But as we said last week, the gimmick is basically a ripoff of the man, and it's really taking the air out of Liv Morgan's babyface sales, if you will, after she finally won a title and was super overdoing it. So it's working for Rousey, but when you put it in the greater context of the show, it's a little frustrating. Nevertheless, I'm going with good here. It was good. Ronda's over as a big, huge anti-hero babyface now. Like, it's done. Like, we're there. But like you said, I don't understand why they're doing this and why they're doing it now. It's completely taken everything away from Liv. Barely even thinking about it, talking about it. It was the most viewed YouTube video from SmackDown on the WWE YouTube page. So like it worked. It's working. I'm just it, it's weird timing on everything. And Liv Shayna like happening. I keep forgetting it's happening. Like that's not the main story now. And it's very just it creates a strange, a strange dynamic. Absolutely. So this kind of continued, when I say this, I mean the main event women's storyline. We had Liv Morgan against Shotzi in a non-title match. Backstage, Morgan said she doesn't work scared and isn't worried about re-injuring herself before defending the title. Shotzi talked shit, saying Liv thinks with her heart, not her head. Shotzi hit a double under her German suplex for a near fall. Liv came back with a code breaker and oblivion for the win. Shayna Baszler attacked after the bell and manipulated Liv's arm. She threatened to break the arm, but said she wouldn't. So basically they could still have the title match and then she would break it in the match. And then she kicked Liv square in the face and fully connected with the kick. Liv actually had a bruise on yeah. her head uh, backstage. There was a picture of her. Half this match was during commercials. So it got decent time, but not that much on live TV. That was disappointing. But I did think the post-match attack was really well done to give Morgan some extra baby face juice and also reestablish Baszler as a heel. The only real negative was Liv just kind of looked pathetic at the end of the entire thing. Good because it wasn't bad, but also just not anything special. I, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to give like the women's segments bad, but like Why? this kind of did nothing for me. Just because it's the only ones we're giving bad. It's the only ones I've given bad to so far. But yeah, this just didn't um didn't do anything for me. It's it's not I'm not that into Liv. Liv, like you said, didn't look great at the end. I'm not like more interested in her versus Shayna as a result of this. It feels like she's just kind of flailing out there with a bit of not great direction. And you've got the Ronda thing to open the show. So it's like the biggest story. And you're just thinking, right. Hey, Ronda kind of sort of beat Liv and we're still seeing Ronda. So I don't, I'm not into live and this isn't helping live rise above that situation. And maybe you should make the case that if you care about Ronda more than, than live right now, that's on them. And Ronda's just being the better performer. Like maybe live just has to be better in some way, but I'm, uh, yeah, surprised by this. And, um, 
I think I'll give it a bad because it was just kind of whatever. I just don't really understand why. If, if you're doing this and you know Rhonda is getting massive pops, why wouldn't you get live out there first and then do Rhonda later in the show? Mm-hmm. It's the same mistake they made last week. They mm-hmm. have Rhonda come out, get a huge pop, and it takes the was- baby face juice away. So they just really need to rethink that. It's it's very frustrating. Unless they're turning live heel, which I don't think they are, you know, they need to rethink that. Did you, what did you give this? A good or bad? Bad. All right. So two bads for you, one for me so far. Uh, on Raw, we had an Alpha Academy open challenge for the first time. Chad Gable said the Academy is accepting new students. He got cheap heat talking about hockey and asked for Toronto's best to come to the ring. No one answered it first until Kevin Owens' music hit. He was back in the duct tape shirt with the old Titan Chong graphics and got a massive pop, even though not really hometown. He's from Montreal, but nevertheless, he is Canadian. So we had KO and Gable as a singles match. Owens ate a T-bone suplex outside, and then a back body drop and German suplex on the apron, the hardest part of the ring. <laughs> Owens hit a cannonball and hooking neckbreaker, plus a frog splash halfway across the ring for a near fall. Gable avoided the pop-up powerbomb and stunner, countering with a German and a really pretty flying headbutt for another near fall. KO then caught Gable at the top rope for a rotating avalanche fisherman suplex for another near fall. Gable got double knees up on a senton bomb, but KO avoided a moonsault, hitting a super kick and the pop-up powerbomb for the win in 11 minutes. Owen sold his match injuries. Otis, after the bell, attacked him, but KO dodged him into the ring post. He was ready to apron bomb Gable when Otis saved his partner and fans started chanting for Sammy. We didn't get Sammy. Instead, Owens stunned Otis and powerbombed Gable into Otis to stand tall at the end. Sammy coming out would have gotten a nuclear pop, but it really wouldn't have made sense unless they followed it up with some backstage conversation about what happened on SmackDown. Given that wasn't the case, this was the right booking. It succeeded in reestablishing the prize fighter version of Owens. I loved that they had him win with the pop-up powerbomb. He still did the stunner in the post-match. I hope that they make the pop-up powerbomb his finisher again. There's nothing wrong with the stunner, but the stunner, it just is Steve Austin. And the pop-up powerbomb, it just is Kevin Owens. So Mm -hmm. I hope they stick with it. This was a damn good wrestling match. 3.75 stars and a B plus. Don't really even know what else to say. Super entertaining. Yeah, definitely good. I'd seen clips of Kevin Owens on house shows over the weekend with the old duct tape shirt. So that made me hope that they were going to keep bringing it back. Glad to see that it is. Um, Actually, back to the Gable promo. Continues to be just really, really good on the mic. He's so good. I continue to love Alpha Academy. They're very, very good at what they do. And I'm hope they continue to just kind of be in the mix for things. I love that when Gable was asking for Toronto to send somebody out, he used the word civilians. <laughs> I thought that was a funny use of that word. Um, and yeah, Kevin Owens comes out. There wasn't really a moment for Kevin Owens to be like, hey, you were annoying during that whole lie detector test with Elias thing. I'm just pissed off. I don't mind it. Kevin Owens did cut a promo, I think digital only. I watched on, on YouTube or on Twitter after the show that was very funny. And he said, I spent the last few months just kind of doing nothing. I'm, I, I'm back to being the prize fighter. Um, just really good at setting the table for where he was. I didn't love Chad Gable doing the flying headbutt, even though it was beautifully done because I just hate that move. I associate it with Chris Benoit mm-hmm. and I associate it with Dan O'Brien getting concussions. So I, just, I don't, I'm, I'm surprised that they still do that move. Honestly, 
would really rather him not do it. Um, and lastly, I was very sad to not get an update from Elias's family. We, we, we got, we got some last week. We loved it. It was only about 15 seconds. Uh, I was hoping to get more of just an update on Ezekiel in the hospital from another family member or something. like that. So that was disappointing not to get that, but overall, this is definitely a good segment. You know, I'm okay with separation from the Ezekiel Elias storyline right now. I, I want that to, I want them to figure out what the hell to do with that and come back sure, really strong. Sure. That's what I would say. Uh, we should mention also WWE announced that Kurt Angle will be on Raw from his hometown of Pittsburgh next week. And I have to imagine they set up the open challenge this week to do it again next week to get Angle face to face with Alpha Academy somehow. I'm not sure who he would Please bring along to do it. But hey, dude, it could be a situation where we get a Gable Stevenson, although I think he, it seems like he's going back to college. If they do a tag team scenario, the Creed brothers potentially could make a one-time appearance out of NXT. Either way, I don't necessarily care what happens. I do hope that we get Kurt Angle and Chad Gable interacting one way or the other. That's what I Yes. Think. On SmackDown, we had a Viking funeral for New Day. This was an entire produced ceremony outside in a forest with fire. The Viking Raiders respected New Day as legends, but said the sun would soon set on them. Also, I should note, Sarah Logan um, was there, like all dressed up to help. She's married, I believe, to um, Eric, if memory serves. So I don't think she's re-signed or anything. I just think they used her as an extra, but that was pretty cool. Uh, they set a memorial of New Day stuff, bootios and a bunch of other crap on fire. And this was another situation, I should note also, where there was at least one unvaccinated talent. So another scenario where they had to tape something and they couldn't bring them uh, to Canada. Super frustrating on that regard. But I thought it was good enough overall for what it was. I'm not sure if this particular segment, a Viking funeral for New Day, I don't know that it could have been executed better. Is it something that I needed? No. Was it well produced? Yes. So I'm giving it a good. You, you know, I have a very uh, tough relationship with this feud, um, but I did think this was very well produced. You, you, you lean into it in that type of way. We didn't have, I, I don't think, unless I missed it, I don't think we had... Cole saying the new vicious Viking Raiders. They have stopped. So that's correct. So that's a positive. Um, So I'll I'll give this a light good. I I still I I need to maybe it's just me. I need to just mentally get into this feud because I'm still stuck with a couple weeks ago being tired of it. Um, But this was good. Definitely an A for effort. All right. And last but not least. Maximum male models were in the ring on SmackDown. Max Dupree began cutting a promo when Hit Row interrupted. Max got in their face. The guys quickly took out Mansois and Massey. Hit Row then wrapped a full new track all the way back. Maxine Dupree walked out from backstage and started dancing while they were doing it. Then Max pulled her backstage. Uh, and the whole thing ended with Pyro. And I think there were some scattered boos as well. This is my take, okay? I didn't love it. But I also didn't hate it. There were a lot of people online that said they hated it. The ciphers that Hit Row did on NXT, they had a vibe. This was not a cipher. The rap that Max Caster does on AEW, it's part of the ring entrance. R-Truth, yes. when he did What's Up, it was part of the ring entrance. This just felt forced. Now, if this was to establish the gimmick one time, or it's something that they make part of their entrance, I'm okay with that. But a three-minute C-level rap concert, 
is the wrong way to go, throwing that right in the middle of SmackDown. Now, again, I thought this served a purpose, and I feel like other people are ignoring that. But as I said earlier, we have to readjust our good, bad, and ugly scale here. Because it seems like, at least in this new honeymoon period for WWE creative, we aren't really going to get uglies. And a lot of the things that we would call bad are being done in such a way, whether it's more match time, um, better promos, whatever the case, that we're going to have so many fewer bads, these things are going to be goods. So we do need to find spots to criticize. And this to me was definitely a spot for criticism. It just, it did not work either the way they intended it to, or even if they intended it this way, the intention was poor. It, it was not executed in any way that could be seen as a positive development on television. So to me, maybe in the past I would have called this good, but this was bad. It was bad for two reasons. One was depriving us of Max Dupree in the Maximum Male Models. I was looking forward to a promo from him and we didn't get it. So they cut off that. I was, I was, did not like that. And the second part is, yeah, like you said, like, look, a, a pro wrestling live audience is not the place to do a rap concert. Like, Max Caster's very short and very clear. You know what he's doing and saying, drops a couple lines like the way John Cena used to do it. The crowd can the crowd can feel that they can hear it. Our truth, he just says, "Was up." It's easy stuff. Whatever. You can't cut this whole song where we don't know what the lyrics are. So, like when they all jump in to say a line, I don't know what the hell the lyrics are. I don't. I, it's also not not clearly coming through. I don't total. I have to really listen to hear mm-hmm. what it was they're tough saying. To hear. Yeah. yeah, it was tough to hear, and like the whole idea of like. They're being presented as rappers who wrestle. They should be wrestlers who rap. That's what has typically worked in pro wrestling. Like, I don't need a whole three-minute song. I couldn't believe it. Like, what what about it made you think that smart wrestling crowd in Montreal was going to, like, be all fired up after hearing a song for the first time? Like, I just, I was very confused at the decisions by that. And this is nothing against Hit Row, really. It's, I just think they were really put in a bad spot there to do that so this was a bad um and two weeks now i just have not been in love with the presentation of hit row it's it's too much rapping and i just don't think this is the audience for that yeah i I think that's exactly right it's just if if you're gonna have someone rap on screen it needs to be good and none of them i mean i know bfab does some music work and i guess the others do some stuff as well but they're just not really good at it, right? So it's fine for a wrestling gimmick, but you got to have some some lyrical talent to be able to put on a three-minute concert of, of a single song. You know, again, Max Caster, I just talk about AEW just because he's the only other person really doing it right now yeah. by comparison. Is he a great rapper? No. But does he create really smart lines? He does. You know what else he's doing? He's doing 15 seconds, maybe 30 <laughs> yeah. seconds. He's not in the ring trying to perform for three minutes. And if they do one of those, they do a music video, which I don't think those are good at all, but they are better than this because it's produced, you can hear him and it directly relates to a feud. There's a purpose behind it. They also usually shove it on Rampage. So just by comparison, comparing apples to apples here, it it was bad, but it also wasn't even as good 
as someone else who is a bad rapper <laughs> doing rap. So, I mean, I don't know if you guys know, I'm a, I'm a hip hop head. Like this is my music, right? Yes. So, you know, if it's going to be on TV, I need to like it. And Hit Row, again, the ciphers they did in NXT, they worked. Were those the best produced things? No, but it made sense. It wasn't supposed to be a formulated song. It was something that was supposed to be more of a freestyle that they were putting together, even though it was scripted. Here, you can't just do a three-minute concert like this. So, you know, I think the last couple of weeks, we really haven't gotten too many bads. But for me this week, there were a few clear spots on both shows that were down moments. And this, I think, was probably the worst thing that we got on TV this week. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, no, Hit, Hit Row is not getting over for this. They're not gaining fans. They're not gaining interest. This is not the way to do it. It's a pro wrestling show. Sure. And that is the end of the good, the bad, and the ugly. But there was one other news item I did want to cover. Chris mentioned earlier in the show uh, that I was able to report and confirm some, some news. And that news was that Jeff Jarrett, not long after being hired as senior vice president of live events, not long after showing up as the special guest referee, at SummerSlam, he is out from that position and Road Dog Jesse James, real name Brian James, has been moved into that role. So he is now the senior vice president of live events. Basically what that means is he is in charge of the house shows, both what happens on the shows, how they transpire, and a lot of other ins and outs, um, who's on what shows and things like that. So congrats to Road Dog for uh, getting back in the company. Um, I do find it extremely interesting that Road Dog is directly replacing Jeff Jarrett when yes, you consider yes. their history and, and everything. Yes, the um, roadie. He's the Road he Dog was, because he was the roadie, he was the roadie for, for Jeff, Jeff Jarrett. Jarrett, the singer. And now he's replacing him again. I also couldn't help but think back to the Jeff Jarrett uh, Stone Cold interview, which was good, where Jeff Jarrett pointed out the comment that Vince McMahon made when he bought WCW and he spelled out Jeff Jarrett's name and stuff like that and basically said he wouldn't come back and he didn't come back. Uh, so uh, tough look because I think Jeff Jarrett's generally a really smart uh, wrestling mind. I don't know exactly what this role was and how he did it or didn't do it, but pretty clear that Triple H wants his guy in there. And now we've got we've got uh, Triple H, Road Dog, and, and Shawn Michaels running uh, – at the top levels of the, the brands in WWE now, uh, Billy Gunn is over there uh, scissoring Anthony Bowens, which I enjoy. Right. right. Billy's over in AEW scissoring. Uh, Sean Waltman, I assume, is still hanging out with his dog. Um, maybe get Pac back in, X-Pac, and have him do something in NXT. I don't know. But it would be cool maybe to see him. I did. He did mention something about coming back to the ring for one match or so, and I think he's done a couple independent dates. It would be pretty cool to see him get a match in NXT. I, I would pop for that. Um, but yeah, clearly Triple H is getting his crew involved. There are other front office personnel changes that have happened, uh, both in NXT and otherwise, where Triple H is putting his people in place. Um, the negative, of course, about this entire thing is the Triple H person, the guy who he would want right now in WWE to help him with creative and with uh, talent relations and all that is William Regal, who is, of course, now in AEW with the Blackpool Combat Club, remaining one of the most confounding releases of that, you know, NXT change. We talked about all the people that got exited from WWE that we were surprised about. I think at the time I told you that William Regal ended up in my top five on that list, including talent. Uh, the fact that they let him go, AEW's using him very well. I don't necessarily know that it's better than WWE used him. I can't say that because I don't know everything he did behind the scenes. 
but certainly he seems to be in a comfortable spot there. And I have no doubt that Triple H um, wishes that he was still a free agent and could come back to NXT. So, Chris, that is it for another loaded WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Hopefully you guys were able to hear a couple of the new sound drops that we have. That is just a smattering of the additions that have been made to the soundboard. So look out for those in future shows. But as we close out today, I need to remind everyone that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Also leave a written review. Tell everyone why you listen and why they should subscribe to the show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. We will be back on Thursday for our latest AEW and NXT show. And then one week from now, we will have WWE Clash at the Castle Ultimate Preview with picks, predictions, all that good stuff contained in that show. And as I said, next week in this spot, we will give you our WWE Clash at the Castle schedule. Chris, thanks again for joining us. Everyone listening, thanks again for listening. At this point, the Silver King will sign off and leave you the three final words. Bye for now.